Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, this is Sydney Charles and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode in this third season of the House Culture podcast, hosted by me, the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. I hope that wherever you are listening right now, you are safe, comfortable, and looking forward to hitting the dance floor very soon. We're almost there, party people. The shackles of lockdown are coming off and excitement is building for what I'm sure will be an unforgettable summer. Thanks for tuning in today. And if it's your first time here, welcome. We are House Culture, a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Not only can you absorb our daily output of positive vibes on Instagram at HouseCultureNet, you can also dig into our hefty back catalogue of previous guests on the podcast. I'm talking about iconic DJ talents such as Fatboy Slim, Danny Tanaglia, David Morales, Harry Romero, Danny Rampling and Graham Park. But our conversations don't just stop there. As we are house culture, we like to investigate every element of the scene. That is why we have also spoken to people like Manumission founding member and Pikes Hotel creative director Dawn Hindle, the man who took Kiss FM from Pirate to PLC Gordon Mack, and the promoter behind the legendary Clockwork Orange brand, Danny Clockwork himself. Honestly, if you don't recognise the name on the guest list, give it a listen, as we make sure they all have a fascinating story to tell. Now, with that out of the way, are you ready for the next episode? In this one... We talk to a DJ and producer who brings such a unique blend of house music rhythms to all of his sets that it's been christened with its own name, the Sydney Sound. It is, of course, the man like Sydney Charles. In this conversation, you'll hear how Sydney developed a love of vinyl from a young age, 
So I, I just had this one turntable and basically a normal stereo sound machine. <laughs> and I always try to mix those two together. And I just bought vinyls at the legendary Groove City uh, vinyl shop in Hamburg when I was uh, 15. Since then, I, I think I spent all my pocket money on vinyl. Whenever I had uh, 12 euros together, I bought me a new piece of black gold. How creating his own productions was the launch pad for his success. I think producing music for me was the foundation of my whole career. To be able to express myself in making music in the studio, producing for me was something that I could do every day, all day long. What kind of sound he likes to bring to dance floors all over the world. I like electronic music, but a lot of times I found it a bit too clean. And house music for me is always a bit dirty. I always try to, to keep that with the style that I'm producing because I love to play out the style the most. is house music that sounds rough, but also energetic at the same time. And you'll hear him reminisce about his favorite places to play on the infamous White Isle of Ibiza. After my first set at DC10, people asked me how was it and I wasn't really able to tell them how it was. When you're as a DJ, you can really perform the tracks that really are your signature music and people understand it completely, then I think it's a very special experience for any DJ. This one was recorded live and direct from his balcony in Berlin. So I hope you enjoy it. This is Sydney Charles. House Culture. Hi Sydney, we really appreciate you sitting down with us on the House Culture podcast today. You're a DJ and producer who has broken through with their own unique take on the house music sound. You've played all over the world and released on iconic labels within the scene. However, we always want to start at the beginning and understand how you got to where you are today. Can you tell us about first discovering music when you were growing up and where that was? Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, um, I was quite fortunate because my mother um, used to be a music journalist. So um, she basically got sent um, a lot of new releases before they come out on the radio. And then she had to write critics on them. So we had a huge um, vinyl connect, uh, collection at home. And um, also uh, my mother got invited to quite a lot of festivals. So... Um, a few times I came with her and I was I think maybe 12 years old and there were also a lot of other kids and with like camping and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think this was like the first time where I uh, consciously um, listened to music and really liked it. I was not really aware of uh, what style of music that was, but I just remember that uh, like really loud music and rhythms um, definitely already catched me back then. And was there any specific um, genre that your your mother was critiquing or was it just all music that she was a music journalist for? It was all kinds of, but it was more uh, mainstream commercialized music. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had a lot of like German artists um, in the collection, but also artists like Prince. Um, she also did a personal interview with them while she was pregnant with me it's quite a fascinating thing no about that. yeah uh yeah yeah she she uh she did quite a lot of um critics on all kinds of genres but m mainly um mainstream radio music mm -hmm. and when you were visiting these festivals at a young age as well did you was it just like a fun time like you said camping with other kids of similar ages or was it something that 
maybe not necessarily at the time, but looking back, did you, you know, have an affinity with people being on stage and performing and enjoying that sense? Ah, yeah, definitely. I think um, to to be in this world uh, that early, um, yeah, kind of uh, gave me the impression that this is something um, very unique and also very um, uh, kind of familiar because when I was there, we were always going with a lot of friends and we were all um, enjoying this experience together. And uh, this is definitely something that still, um, this feeling is still with me when I'm approaching um, music or festivals nowadays. For me, it's like an experience that you experience with your family all together or with a lot of friends. And um, yeah, it's definitely something that's, that sticks with me um, till today. You came from a more of a, you entered the DJ world as a teenager into more hip hop and soul and R&B and funk. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what was the journey there? Obviously, you know, a teenager, were you um, buying records specifically to become a DJ? Did you have like, you know, how did hip hop as a sound kind of influence you at that stage? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was I grew up in Hamburg. Uh, north of Germany and back in the days in the mid 90s well to I think 2005 more or less Hamburg was the um, hip-hop capital of Germany mm-hmm. so um, not only the the most famous um, German hip-hop artists were coming from Hamburg but also a lot of um, international um, hip-hop artists came to Hamburg to perform so the scene there was was quite dense, and um, I, I was I was always following um, hip hop since I was a teen- teenager because I also played basketball, and basketball is very strongly connected to hip hop. And um, I don't know whether you know these and one mixtapes. Mm-hmm. It's like street ball mixtapes with DJs performing and like mixing basically DJ sets on top of this, those videos. Mm-hmm. And so through basically actually through sports, I, I was more connected to hip hop. Um, um, yeah, th- this was kind of the start, I think, where basketball got me into hip hop music. And then I was more interested in DJing because I saw a lot of series like Mixery Raw Deluxe. This was um, a TV series on Viva, mm-hmm. which was like the German, um, the German antidote to MTV. And um, yeah, there were always these DJ battles where uh, DJs were kind of um, turn, uh, in the turntablism style, beat juggling and scratching to compete against each other. And I always record those series. And there was also um, a radio channel, Gem FM, where you could send in your own mixtapes to, to um, compete against other DJs. And yeah, I think from this perspective, I more and more got interested in street culture, hip hop. Um, basketball was also very strongly connected to the street culture. So um, when all this st- uh, stuff came together, I I more and more wanted to become a DJ myself. Mm-hmm. So um, um, if, uh, one of my mother's friends, um, DJ Zack, he used to be a DJ on Ibiza for a very long time in Salinas, mm-hmm. more this kind of Balearic sound. And he uh, gave me my first turntable when I was uh, 15. 
So I, I just had this one turntable and basically a normal um, stereo sound um, machine. Yeah. <laughs> and I always try to kind of mix those two, two together. And I just uh, um, bought vinyls at the legendary Groove City uh, vinyl shop in Hamburg. Mm -hmm. And yeah, since then, I, I think I spent all my pocket money on vinyl. Whenever I had uh, 12 euros together, I bought me a new piece of, of uh, black gold. <laughs> yes. black gold brilliant and um so that entry into djing starting off um from a hip-hop sense obviously you said that you're inspired by seeing all of the beat juggling and all of that kind of my more performance-based djing that can come out of hip-hop scratching and whatever how did that influence you you know how did you first make that jump from hip-hop to house music and how did that style influence you as a DJ? Um, well, I think I'm I'm always fascinated by the roots of something. So where where does uh, a certain sound come from? How uh, became hip hop what it is, and how became also house what it is? And when I was looking uh, a lot of documentaries on YouTube, I always uh, found this connection between hip hop and house, especially. Um, through breakdancing mm -hmm. because the break the breakdance style um ne needed to have like kind of fast beats like more or less 120 bpm or higher mm -hmm. and yet well original uh, hip-hop sound was not that fast so the hip house um movement kind of uh, developed out of this breakdance scene and so the connection from hip-hop to house is very very close I think it's just um, when all the disco influences came uh, towards that and mixed up. I think the the hip house, um, the hip house part of house became a bit like overrun by the disco sound. And but for me personally, I always felt that the grooves and the energy and also these rough beats they were very much connected to how hip hop sounded in the '90s as well. So um, for me, this connection was always there. And um, there were quite a lot of uh, house DJs back in the days in Hamburg as well. When you think of Moose T, for example, is I think the most famous uh, German house uh, producer um, who, is, um, yeah, who is a legend, I think. And um, he was for me personally one of those artists where I really got into house music, um, where I experienced house music as well, um, uh, the first time properly, also because I knew that Musti was from Hamburg and I also was interested in um, who, who in Hamburg, in my hometown, mm -hmm. is actually um, interested in this style because it was still quite rare um, um, back in the days. Mm. Um, when I was a teenager to to listen to this kind of style and um, because mostly the sound in Germany which was common is just techno mm -hmm. really rough hard techno style and yeah so I think um, uh, to come back to your question <laughs> um, I think um, this this part of um, hip-hop um, the street culture which connected to breakdancing got me interested into the faster beats mm -hmm. and then I, I was I was trying to look up who actually is also performing house or hip house in my hometown and then I always came back to Moose T 
and yeah this is kind of my my jump into the probably the first uh, experience with the house sound was it a scary proposition obviously you've been buying vinyl as a teenager all in one specific almost genre in terms of hip-hop and whatever and then you were transitioning mm-hmm. into into house as well was it a natural progression or was it a scary leap to to be like okay well this is going to be my sound now um actually it was not scary at all because um during that time i was already um um a hip-hop dj for i think four years mm-hmm. and i i was able to get into the scene and I played quite a lot of gigs also all over Germany. And um, for me personally, um, after a time, I found myself in a position as a hip hop DJ that I was always playing the same tracks all and all over again, because this is what the people are requesting most of the time. You, you, you always have then these new kind of styles that you can mix in, but in every gig, they, they, the crowd kind of wants the same music. Mm-hmm. And um, this, for me, was kind of weird after four years to know that I, the eighty percent of my set is just stays the same. And I think I think it was quite boring then. I was quite bored of DJ gigs, and I also had the feeling that the vibes inside uh, the nightclubs where I performed were a bit aggressive. There was always a bit of aggressiveness, and it was more about um, yeah. Um, get to know women rather and getting drunk rather than enjoying the music and um, I was also um, quite a lot of times I didn't receive my money as a DJ because people were just not paying me out and I just had the feeling that the scene the hip-hop scene was kind of not dying out but it became more and more uh, boring and also commercial mm-hmm. it was then a lot of um, producers collaborated with I don't know Britney Spears Pussycat Dolls and all that stuff where I was not really connected with hip-hop wise I always felt um, I was more connected to the to to the old sound the old school sound the the conscious rap kind of sound and um, so I think it, it was it was not difficult to change to house it was more a decision because I was not happy anymore how the scene, uh, the hip hop scene was mm-hmm. in, in Germany or in, in Hamburg, especially. Yeah, yeah. And, y- you know, you mentioned Boost T there as well. When you made that transition, were there any other artists or DJs that you're particularly looking towards that you you like their sound? And, and what was your, what, what, you, what were your experiences visiting clubs, enjoying house music at that stage as well? Well, it's, as I said, the, the house or the electronic music scene was relatively small. Mm. We didn't have a lot of big artists, but we had a lot of like small parties and with local DJs. And um, there were sometimes performing artists like Carrie Chandler or uh, Derek May, who played at a club called Balsal, mm-hmm. which was like a really small kind of underground cellar club for um, 300 capacity and I think this was really really cool to to see those kind of artists um, play in those venues which are super intimate and is, is a different experience to to enjoying music like this than on, in really huge clubs or huge festivals mm-hmm. and maybe this was something I really um, appreciated about the house scene in 
in Hamburg is because it was so small that the experience when you had a big artist performing was still very, very intimate. And um, well, you could basically like shake his hand while he was playing. And for me back then, it was something very, very uh, like far away normally to think about big artists um, performing in Hamburg and be able to to kind of connect with them on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think the, the, the two venues or not, let's say three venues in Hamburg that really um, had uh, good artists and where you could really enjoy house music was Golden Poodle, Balsal mm -hmm. uh, and Ego Club. Mm -hmm. um, which is the club, uh, which used to be the club from Solo Moon. Okay. But this this one opened relatively late in, um, like, I think, I, I don't even remember, I think nine years ago mm -hmm. it um, it opened. And I think two years ago it was uh, closed and the new guy uh, bought it off. But I think these, these three venues were where I regularly went to uh, listen to um, good house music artists mm -hmm. like back in the days yeah mm -hmm. yeah and you you mentioned you were already getting gigs as a hip-hop dj and you know in hamburg as well you, you you transitioned over to that house music sound was it an immediate success in terms of okay they knew that you were a dj like club owners knew that you're a dj on the scene but maybe you played hip-hop was it easy then to get start getting gigs playing a different sound or was it did you have to start over again uh, yeah, not at all. It was not easy. Um, so these two scenes are not connected. Mm -hmm. They are not connected in any way. So it's not giving you any advantage to be a hip hop DJ and then starting into the house. Maybe it gives you an, an advantage of the DJ skills that you learn. Because when you start playing uh, only vinyl records of records, which are maximum three to four minutes long, mm -hmm. you are uh, much more uh, probably... Um, adapted to the stress of finding a new track <laughs> than rather when you play a house track which is i don't know seven eight minutes mm -hmm. and you have quite a lot of time to to dig the next uh, the next tune mm -hmm. i think um what kind of was my first step into the house scene was um a birthday party at a very um new renovated bar in the sternschanze district in hamburg which is kind of the uh maybe people uh, know it when you say it's the kreuzberg of hamburg mm -hmm. so it's kind of a, a alternate um, area where a lot of bars and clubs are opening and where yeah, young people go out and um it's it's a bar uh, it was a bar called uh hoch drei which means high three it had like three levels on top of each other mm -hmm. and um i i performed at this birthday and the um, and the, the club was still not open, uh, the bar was still not open, but the owner was there and he, he listened to my music and he asked me whether I want to maybe uh, play regularly at, at his bar, like every Wednesday. So um, I became a resident um, on in this bar and from there on I had a lot of practice mixing house music and there's a lot of friends who came and I had a really good time there, but still it was a very local um, affair. So mm -hmm. this DJing um, in the spa was not getting me anywhere um, national or international. So I, um, I, 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 I always wanted to find out, yeah, 
is it actually possible to maybe even like live from um, being a DJ or being a, a producer? Mm -hmm. And this was the next step when I found out that actually, yeah, um, in case you, you, you want to maybe um, be so uh, lucky and earn money from your art, you definitely should also try to make music yourself mm -hmm. to, from the scratch. And yeah, and then, then I started to actually be more familiar with um, making music on my own. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think that that is the difference between um, existing as a DJ and succeeding as a, as a DJ in terms of having that basis of you are producing your own things as well? Is, do you feel that that is the thing that kicks you on to the next level? I mean, you said that in Hamburg it felt very local. Do you think starting to produce stuff is mm -hmm. what really elevated you? Uh, yes, I would even go more far and say um, without producing, I wouldn't uh, be able to 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 perform uh, internationally at all. I think uh, producing music for me was the foundation of my whole career to to be able to um, express myself in making music in the studio was something also that uh, got the whole thing even more interesting for me so i was i was actually more happy in the studio than djing it's it's a funny thing which i found out uh, later that uh, producing for me was something that i could do every day all day long and um so for me it it really became um it became something more serious when I um, when I started uh, producing music as it was just something I did for myself and not for, I don't know, competing uh, with other people out there. And from there on, I think, um, yeah, from there on, uh, it was kind of the real start of what uh, made me an artist today was making music as a producer. Yeah, yeah. And what what do you feel was that moment for you that felt like a turning point in terms of was it getting a big gig or was it getting your track into some the hands of someone who then played it and you heard it and it blew up? What was the what was a, a big break for you? Do you think? I think it was. Um, I think the the big break where I really thought, um, okay, now I'm I'm on the radar of a lot of people was when um, um, a manager called me uh, from um, two quite famous electronic music artists from, I think back in the days, he was uh, handling Panpot and um, the whole uh, Mobile crew, like Anja Schneider. And um, I think back in the days, Panpot was also part of Mobile. <laughs> and um, yeah, well, this guy called me and said, Hey, I, I realized um, I have this number from from your friend, and I heard your tracks quite a lot in the in the past. And what do you think about meeting up and talking about music? And I was like, okay, whoa! I actually uh, there are people that are in the scene working professionally in the business. They're interested in the music that I'm making. Mm -hmm. And this was like a, a turning point inside my head, where I realized, okay. From now on, I, I could actually give even more into it and making it something um, which I can live off. So this is something that it's not only a side thing where, where I don't know, which I really enjoy, but I could also like give even 100, 100% and then it could get into something more serious. Mm -hmm. 
And before that, I think this was always like small doors opening after each other when I uh, produced a track. And as you said, uh, one of bigger DJs uh, got it into his hands, played it out and someone sent me a video. And this always keeps motivates you, keeps motivating you, but mm -hmm. it's still not a turning point where you could say that now um, you got somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, so all these all these small things they they are huge motivations but in the end i think uh, what really turned um turned my head 180 degrees was the call from this manager who really was interested in in me and handling my situation and i mean there is a very specific sydney charles sound that you play in in your dj sets and in your productions as well i mean how would you mm -hmm. describe that as a point of difference to how other DJs play? How would you describe your own sound? Yeah, I think the sound that um, that I really stick to was um, a sound that also came from my hip hop, funk, and soul influences. So I um, I, li I like electronic music, but a lot of times I found it a bit too clean, especially mm -hmm. when you when you think of about this minimal techno hype from the beginning of 2000s. And uh, a lot of the tracks that I was listening to was not 100% what I felt house music was really like. And house music for me is always a bit dirty. It's not 100% well mixed. It's always a bit rough. It sounds very full and it sounds even like digital tracks sound like they are recorded um, from a vinyl or something. So um, I always try to, to keep that um, with the style that, that I'm producing, that I'm making also because I love to play out the style the most is house music that sounds rough but also energetic at the same time. And I think this is this is basically the style that I'm doing already since since day one. You know, my next question was going to be, how do you think your style has evolved over the years? But, you know, just from what you've just said, it feels, you know, it's just a natural, more, more modern sounding progression of what your original style has always been. Is that how you feel about it? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there there were always some adaptions or some exper uh, experiments that I that I did um, I also did some a bit more like technoish kind of sound when I had some releases on drum code or true soul but um, I, I still um, don't like to lose my, my red line um, if, if, if that makes sense so mm -hmm. I always want to um, to know that people know that the song is for me and that it's something coming from me. And if I turn my style um, around 180 degrees, then I don't know. I think it felt weird if, if someone knows something from me and then he is this totally different music I'm making. I don't know. I, I just feel it's not really, really authentic mm -hmm. because it, it kind of means that you, I don't know. It doesn't mean that, but for me, it always had the impression that it would mean that I adapt to what people want to hear and not what I really want to do. And maybe there are some people that say, oh, I'm sick of house music, I make techno. But then, I don't know, it, it doesn't feel like you were 100% into house music at all before. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I always like to 
to have this part of me which is my core and from there um this music it's it's changing but it's it's changing in small measures like i did a bit like house influenced techno and now i'm a bit more nowadays minimalistic deep house sound but as i still i still have my my grooves my um my energy and my vibe and i think this is something um people realize also mm, yeah and it's it, you know it can be it's good to hear you talking kind of broadly about grooves and things like that i think it can quickly get quite suffocating if you're looking at just specific genres you know i'm just going to be like deep house or tech house or whatever it can be quite limiting in that sense exactly 100 if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool. I mean, um, a few years back, you uh, produced a back-to-back essential mix with Sante. Um, obviously, the essential mix from the UK sense as well, you know, is a, a pretty big deal. I mean, how did that feel at the time getting that call And um, was it kind of scary putting that set together? And how did you approach it? Yeah, this this was a very um, a very good moment um, for sure. So um, I remember uh, during that time I was in Ibiza, and we had um, a residency at Vista Club, which is the small room of uh, privilege. Mm-hmm. Like um, I don't know whether you know it. It's like a surrounded by glass. Yeah, and um, It's a it's a very nice location. Um, I think a lot of people they they don't even know it when they come to Ibiza. And uh, we used to perform there every Sunday. Sante, uh, Darius Rustian, and I. And um, yeah, I think 
um, this time was probably the peak uh, of uh, our career in a sense of the sound that we were making, kind of tech housey jack and house sound. And uh, when we got this call from the um, uh, from the essential mix, we were like, "Wow, okay, now it's getting really serious, and and we, we are reaching a, a different level." Mm -hmm. And when we put the tracks together, um, Sante and I, we were we were sitting um, in our house in Ibiza, and we were really thinking about, um, yeah, putting a mix together which also includes tracks that we made extra for the sensory mix mm -hmm. so we, we didn't want to just um showcase our own music and showcase stuff that we bring out on our label we also make it even more special and bring in stuff that you never heard before in any of our sets or uh in any of our podcasts or something so yeah because essential mix is such a big thing and it's such a uh, special occasion to do a mix for them we also um yeah did a, did a lot of effort to make it special mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's a fantastic listen and like you say there is some special things in there as well that you you know you'd created specifically for that it's always good to to listen to that and understand that the dj or the artist understands what they're getting into and has made that extra effort to make it special. Exactly. In terms of producing your own material, um, you know, you, you you produce, you DJ, and you collaborate as well. How important is it to do all of those things across the spectrum to be completely, like having all of those tools in your armory? How important is it for you as an artist to be able to do all of those things? I think it's really important. I mean, um, nowadays... Um, a DJ is not only a DJ anymore. You you really have to have a lot of skills to be able to to stay in the scene for um, for quite a long time and also be successful in what you're doing. You really need to have um, yeah you, you need to have uh, knowledge about a lot of things and it's even more important nowadays in this um, uh, pandemic mm -hmm. because you you can really see difference between uh, real producers and DJs were only DJs. I mean, I think um, a lot of them are struggling nowadays because mm -hmm. also probably uh, um, you you can you can have a kind of a second leg and uh, teaching skills. You can make sample packs. You ha you have all this knowledge to to teach also uh, people who are interested in what you're doing um, a way of making music or your way of making music. So. I think uh, yeah, it's it's something it's something that definitely um, separates. Um, I don't know how, how to call it in English, but it separates the 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 core from um, no the, the the wolves from the sheep. I think the, the men the men from the boys. It. I think is sometimes what's said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, the real true enthusiasts. Yeah, and the people who are just participating. I suppose. Um, I mean, when, you know, obviously you mentioned the pandemic and we're living through that right now. Um, how has your creativity been during this period? We've spoken to um, so far this season, we spoke to Anya Schneider and Alan Fitzpatrick mm -hmm. as well. And they made some interesting points about how difficult it's been when they're producing material that's being released during this period that they can't mm -hmm. 
judge how good it is really because a lot of their judgment previously has been based on the reaction of a dance floor have you found it difficult yes. to be able to be inspired in the, in that way during this lockdown or is it giving you new opportunities to pursue different aspects of your musical journey i think um in the beginning it was much more easy to uh, make music because um, um you were not or as an artist uh, performing every weekend you were always with the head already in the future thinking about the next gigs and so this pressure kind of got away because there were no gigs anymore and um so this the the studio time was feeling more free so i was just making music without thinking about the next weekend without thinking about the next tour or festival or whatsoever so um I, I had um, more time to experiment, to try out new um, hardware or something like that, or a new way of, of making music in general. I was also uh, looking a lot of tutorials. I, pay, I became a member of another tutorial channel where I was like uh, looking on, um, on different approaches on, on creating grooves or, or melodies just to, just to stay um, awake and to stay um, interested mm -hmm. and to, to, to learn new things. And I think this is something um, really important in this pandemic that I realized that you, you always have to like um, keep learning and, and uh, even, even if, if you think you, you are someone or you are, uh, you, you reached a certain point where you, where you shouldn't be learning new things, I think this is a really um, a false view on, on reality. Mm. And I think um, this was in the first, the first lockdown was like my, my main um, inspiration was just to, to learn New, new things and to um, to try to um, involve them into my creative process. Mm -hmm. uh, it, I think it became more and more difficult with the second lockdown because the the inspiration was not that big anymore. So when, when you always see the same things, you're at home, you have the same kind of daily rhythm. And um, yeah, sooner or later, you just a bit... Uh, empty inspira inspiration wise so mm. i was i was struggling a bit creating music or just creating ideas or finishing off tracks and um yeah this 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 is something i realized definitely that this whole touring traveling also that it, it, it gives you something back it gives you energy it gives you um inspiration mm. in, a, in a general mm. sense yeah yeah, I mean, you're in Berlin right now, um, you know, and I, I, I've read, a f doing my research for this piece, you know, I read an interview with you and I think you were living in Portugal at the time and another one where you're living in Ibiza. Um, you know, it feels like you've lived in many different places. Um, how important is location to you and how inspiring is that when you are living in a different place does that influence what you're creating or is it just a sense of no my my studio is is my studio in any place in the world no i think um definitely the location influences you in your creative process i think everything can influence you like experiences a book i don't know a, a person I think everything can influence uh, your creative process in a positive or also in a negative way. Mm -hmm. um, Location-wise, um, when I moved to Berlin from Hamburg in, I think, 2000, 
2012. Yeah, 2012. I think this was also um, a, a big change for my music and also a big part of uh, becoming professional. I think um, if, if I wouldn't have done this move uh, from Hamburg to Berlin, which is not far, it's one and a half hours mm -hmm. by train, but it's still a totally different world. And the scene here is so more complex and, um, and full that um, it, changed, um, it changed my view on, on, on electronic music in many different ways. And um, it's the same with any place where you go. Also, when I moved to Ibiza, mm -hmm. um, of course, it's, it's an island that never sleeps. It's um, always, uh, always with huge artists performing. So it also inf influences you in a, in, a very, in a very good way. Mm -hmm. But I think the only, uh, in, in Ibiza, you always have to be careful to not lose yourself in this kind of stream um, of people enjoying music because at some point you just forget about actually creating music and you just uh yeah you're just there and and you don't really uh, get creative anymore you just enjoy the sun you enjoy the parties and then at some point uh you find yourself in a position without any new music in the end of the year or something <laughs> and um yeah uh, uh, with portugal i'd say uh, actually, I, I still live there, so I'm just here in, in Berlin because my family is here. But yeah, to, to come back to your question, I think every location, every city, every country gives you something um, to be inspired to, to create a, a different style or, or to create a new idea in the studio. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you, you, you mentioned Ibiza there, you, you mentioned before about playing in uh, a privilege as well, in having that residency there. Obviously, you've played all over the island. Um, what, what's it What's it like, like working on the island and living there at the same time? Obviously, you said creativity can suffer as well. I mean, is there um, a temptation to... Uh, I mean, the island is not just all about clubbing as well. There are some beautiful places, especially in the north of the country, that you can visit as well and, mm -hmm. and completely take a different approach. Um, did you did you participate in a lot of that when you were living out there? And and what do you think is so special about the island? Yeah, for sure. I I was I, I think I I know the island by heart now. I I was driving um, along the coasts um, probably every every other week and trying to find a new secret beach that other people didn't find yet, which was, was probably uh, impossible. But uh, there are some beaches that are still very, very uh, remote. And um, this was something that uh, yeah, kept me busy on the island, just to explore the island in general. And um, I still think that this island has something very, very unique and special and it's, I, I don't uh, agree with people saying that it lost its magic. Uh, I heard that a lot of times um, over the past years, but um, I definitely don't agree. Mm. Um, sim simply because also I know a lot of people who live there and um, I know people um, behind the scenes who, who promote and I think uh, most of them, most of those people that I know, they, they work uh, with a lot of passion with the with all their heart to to create really good events and um i i have um i've also experienced so many um so many good nights there that um 
that I would uh, definitely recommend anyone of my friends who've never been to who've never been there to go, mm. because I still have some friends who who've never been, and it's I always uh, have to convince them to do it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that first time is always it's never a, that first time is never a last time ever. That's true. <laughs> what is your um, what is your favorite place to play on the island, um, or do you think each specific venue delivers a different vibe that you enjoy? I think uh, number one is still DC Ten, um, mm. simply because um, I think as a DJ, it's one of those places where you um, where you're just speechless after your set, like. After my first set at DC10, I was just, I, I people asked me, how was it? And I, I wasn't really able to tell them how it was. I don't know. It was just like a, I don't know. It's just when, when you, when you as a DJ, you can really perform the tracks that, um, that really stands for you, that really um, kind of are, are your signature music and people understand it completely then I think it's a very special um, experience for any DJ. Yeah, I think it's it's still my number one. There are a lot of different places, of course, as you say, which have different vibes. I have very good um, memories from Sankey's, where I used to play um, super cool um, nights with uh, tribal sessions, Darst Rossian, and we had, wow, we had so many good nights there. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's a totally different vibe. It's like a, a dark kind of basement mm -hmm. vibe and it's a different experience, you know, mm -hmm. so. Cool. And I mean, when, when you're playing gigs as well, like, where do you stand on the tech that you use? Do you, you know, are you, do you still enjoy playing off a of vinyl? Do you have a digital element to it or is it all digital? Where do you stand on, on what you do when you're behind the decks? So I... Um, I play mainly digital, but uh, I always have some vinyl with me and I always have a turntable standing there. And uh, it's probably like an 80-20 relation from digital to vinyl, where I always like to play some some records. And it's something that I also really miss if I don't do it because it gives you that excitement that, yeah, I mean, um, mistakes can happen more easily if you play vinyl and it still gives you something um a bit of spice into your set mm -hmm. when i only play digital i i feel it's it's also safe and secure um yeah it's it sometimes can get a bit boring i think <laughs> yeah there's nothing better than <laughs> nailing a mix with vinyl like having a bit of finesse on you know a spinning disc rather than you know just poking at a yes um poking at a cdj it can be a lot more satisfying exactly um I want to talk talk about your um, your latest release, the um, Organica EP on Piv Records. Um, it has a real kind of summery vibe to it. I thought. Um, I mean, are you looking forward to getting back out there, hopefully in the summer, and and playing gigs? Yeah, I do. I mean, this uh, EP got um, got produced in the second lockdown, mm -hmm. so. Uh, yeah, in the second lockdown, and it was, I think, mid-June or beginning of July. So, I was, um, yeah, I was very much influenced by the weather during that time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, while I produced the track, I was just uh, imagining uh, open airs, festivals, 
and I wanted to create an EP which uh, kind of uh, adapts to this vibe or, or creates this vibe in 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 this scene. Yeah. And are you working on anything right now that you're really excited about to get out there when, you know, hopefully things return, when people can return to dance floors? Uh, yes. And I think um, I, re- I signed an EP from one of my favorite artists to my label, he- Heavy House Society. And uh, I did a remix myself um for that ep and it will be released in in june Mm -hmm. so i think in june um hopefully uh as uh, the prime minister of the united kingdom already mentioned we have uh some uh, festivals and clubs opening again Mm -hmm. so i think uh, this ep um will open the doors again to um to the festival season and also yeah hopefully people will like to play it out during that time. Yeah, I mean, how do you think um, the scene might have changed a bit um, after this pandemic is, has run through through its course and everyone's vaccinated and we're, a bit, we're in a bit more control of it? Do you think there's, um, obviously during lockdown there's been a lot of live streaming and DJs kind of interacting with, um, with their audiences in different and unique ways from different parts of the world do you think that that is a new format within the scene or do you think it's been um um, it just had to happen during this period because no one could go out Uh, it's really hard to say because i think that uh all the streaming um will never replace a a real party Mm. it's it's just impossible i mean you, you really uh you have to be on the dance floor and enjoying music because the, this house music, electronic music is something that you always feel as well on your, on your body from the frequencies that come out of these huge sound systems. So it's never enough to just watch music on a, on a screen, you know? So it's just, a, it just, a, it just takes the place now. So people are not like um, dying of lack of uh, enjoying music and mm-hmm. culture. And I think, um, yeah, we it's it's just simply impossible for me personally to think about, um, yeah, real events or m- might be um, replaced with with digital uh, resources or something like that. Yeah. So I mean, did did during this period did you get involved with any of any streams or any anything in that sense, or did, was it something like you say that didn't feel natural and you know you'd rather keep it at arm's length? No, I did. I did a couple of streams and mm. uh, it was fun. Uh, it was cool to do it, but it's not really something that um, I, I would uh, um, I would plan on uh, myself to be to be something regular in in my um, in my career or something. Mm-hmm. I, um, I I I just didn't feel that also the feedback of people were that. Um, I don't know, that excited about the streams. It was always something that um, people enjoy, but it's it's never something that people are 100% um, happy about, you know, and in, in compared to a proper event. So I did a couple of streams, but for me, yeah, it was just something that, that I did to, to get over this period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think hopefully that's... Um, it's just been something that's just happened because of this period and you know like you say I don't think it's going to replace that feeling of 
the community that you get from being on a dance floor in a club and like you say feeling the music rather than actually hearing it as well i think that's that's a major difference yes i agree 100 percent. so i mean what um what's your diary looking like then for the second half of this year have you managed to like get get a load of bookings and tours and things like that booked in or are you being a bit more trepidatious in terms of like approaching it cautiously and you know just in case things go backwards rather than forwards uh no i actually if if there are requests i would not hesitate to take them on i'm really uh looking forward to play again um yeah i, I just came back from ecuador there's some um there was a club opened and i just flew over just to play at this one uh this one venue and um so i'm, I'm really starving to play music to be honest <laughs> and yeah there are some requests um in the UK, there are some requests from Italy. There are some requests in the United States. So um, yeah, but yeah, the, um, I would definitely not uh, hesitate to take on some gigs. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> cool. Well, no, look forward to hopefully catching you somewhere um, later on this year. I mean, we are um, house culture. And you are part of the culture of the scene with your producing and your DJing and your talent. Um, what what has the scene itself, the culture of the scene, brought to you? Not just within your career, but what has it brought you to your life? Um, I think you already mentioned that um, in the last question. I think it's just a general sense of community and family, and to work with people that you you see as family or that you that you like to work with is uh, something that um, house culture definitely uh, gave me or, or, or teach me as a life lesson that the way how I approach people or how I want to work with people is always in a friendly manner, in a sense of community and to create something um, together, to give something back to the scene. And yeah, I think this is something uh, house culture stands for me for, for diversity for um, tolerance and um, this is something I also carry with me as a personality how I how I treat people in general and uh, this is something um, house music and house culture um, carries it with it it's it's the identity of house music so this is something um, this is something I definitely took on brilliant I think that's the most excellent point to to finish on that's uh, that's that's great cool okay mate have a good one cheers man you too bye house culture what an interesting journey sydney has had right moving through the hip-hop scene and then bringing that experience to the world of house music no wonder his sound is such a unique one i hope you enjoyed listening to that chat also, keep your eyes out for that release he mentioned coming out in June on his own Heavy House Society label. You know, it's going to be a good one if the man himself has delivered his own remix. Whilst we're talking about new beats to discover, the regular listeners amongst you might have noticed that we didn't get a chance to discuss Sydney's five track choices for our ever-growing House Culture Perfect playlist that you can find on Spotify. This epically eclectic selection of tunes has taken submissions from every single one of our previous podcast guests and Sydney did not want to miss out. So, for his catalyst, a track that originally got him into house music, you heard him mention it in our chat, 
It's Hamburg's own Moose Tea with Horny, his huge jam from 1998. Sydney's floor filler choice is Noi Doi with Deeper Underground, a track that contains a cheeky Jamiroquai sample. That's probably the reason why it's not on Spotify. Although other music sources are available, you know where to look. Happy hunting on that one. For some pure shoreside vibes, Sydney has chosen the beautiful Calypso by Vince Watson for his Sunset Tune. A tearjerker track that always fills Mr. Charles with emotion is the deep and meaningful Daily Prayer by Mr. G. And finally, to finish things off, the crowd are asking for one more. What does he play as his last tune? It is, of course, the Kerry Chandler mix of You're In My System by The System, who are, of course, Kerry Chandler and Jerome Sydenham. Now, that particular mix is also not on Spotify, but I have dropped in the recent Dennis Quinn remix that is similar. Obviously not as good as the original. You should really seek that one out. So if you want to immerse yourself in all of those stellar choices, plus a few others from our House Culture podcast family, search on Spotify for House Culture Perfect Playlist. Stick it on shuffle and turn it up loud. With that as your soundtrack, please help support this podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing and rating or reviewing us on Apple. We've had some fantastic feedback already, so if you say something good, it will not only help us to continue to create these episodes that you love listening to, could also get you a shout out on a future one as well. This time around, I've got to do it. The shout out is going to the one and only Joy Butler, mother of DJ, producer and previous podcast guest Josh Butler whose CDs it was that originally got her son into the sound of repetitive beats and set him on his way to global stardom. Joy, thanks for tuning in and for all of your positive comments. If you keep them coming, we'll keep delivering new and exciting episodes just for you. And if you want to join us at House Culture from wherever you might be in the world right now, please hit up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Not only will you be kept fully informed about the podcast, You'll also get connected with other beat lovers from across the globe. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can do it directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and see you next time. House Culture. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.